0: Uh, Welcome to Managing Marketing. Today I'm sitting down having a chat with Steve Sinner, who's the Chief Operating Officer at the Australian Alliance of Data Leadership. Welcome Steve. Thank you for having me Darren. Well, uh, it's been a long time. I think we met soon after I started Trinity P3, or P3 as it was in those days, back in uh, 2000. It was soon after that, wasn't it? It would Yes,
1: absolutely. It would have been around that time. And I think since then, I have been thoroughly appraised and thoroughly pitched by you. <laughs> well, sometimes for better and sometimes for worse.
0: Yes, you've you've been on the uh, on the horizon. You've been part of the uh, ecosystem, especially in regards to media. But uh, in the last few years, your career has sort of expanded beyond just media, hasn't it? Uh, with this role, uh, especially with the AADL. Yes,
1: indeed. Um, although. It has, but in many ways, I think, and, and I think a lot of people have talked about, you know, how people moving out of parts of comms into data. Mm. Media is a pillar of comms where data has always been at the heart of it. Um, I mean, I always encapsulated my media career as the, th- the big thing, that I, and I wasn't unique in this, I don't think, but the big thing I was doing was helping, um, helping marketers understand consumers and obviously as part of that there was a strategic and analytical rigor to that, distilling insights etc. But data was, was at the heart of that. Now the data at the start of my career w- was highly primitive compared to what, but, well, it, but, it, but, it, but it was the same thing. It was what, day, what do we have that's available that allows us to take
0: objective decisions. That, look, that's a really interesting point. And, and the only thing I'd challenge you on is that you know, at the start of your career, at the start of, you know, of, of the 21st century, um, for a media agency, the idea of data was uh, the um, subscription surveys like the Morgans yep. and the Nielsens that they subscribe to, maybe some first-party data that the clients may expose them to, and then possibly, you know, some research, um, yeah. you know, bespoke research. You know, we're talking maybe four or five sources. I mean, you'd have to admit now that when we talk about data and especially data analytics and the insights. Um, often they're talking about hundreds of sources of data and, and yes. you know, like massive uh, amounts of information yeah. that actually make those decision making <laughs> a lot more rigorous, don't they? Compared to four sources, you know, oh well, I checked Morgan, I checked Nielsen, and that says that this is our audience. Ab- absolutely. Has um, that changed much I- in media your agencies? Do you think? Yes,
1: it has to a degree. I mean, it's interesting as you started to map that out. I was, I was going a, a bit down memory lane
0: myself. No, it's a while ago. And,
1: and it was, but it's interesting, I think, because absolutely, um, you know, I've been around long enough to go, absolutely, it was those things, you know, Morgan, uh, claim data, mm. you know, qual research, focus groups, whatever they were, um, probably look like very blunt tools now. That was your, that was your palette of data from which you mm. drove strategic decisions, uh, interestingly, I think, you know, when I first joined OMD, in you know, 3, which was when, you know, Grootie was really putting together that forward-looking structure. Mm. Now, rapidly copied since then, but we were one of the... F- I don't know if we were the first, but we were one of the first... Early adopters. Try, early adopters who, who had an econometric modelling division mm. in there. So I became a big proponent of that and trying to, you know, promote it to clients. But absolutely early on... Uh, and when I was exposed to that, I saw the power of data and the power of that modelling. But early on, it was very interesting because probably the biggest barrier at the start was clients going, hang on, I don't know if I give you permission to do this, you're a media planner. Mm. And you'd go, well, hang on, this is, this is taking media planning to the next level. You know, you've always wanted to get to a higher level of understanding of the macro effects of ROI, so surely you should be happy that we've now got this in our toolkit and in those first couple of years, certainly there was, you know, it was some resistance where people were just going, "I'm really not sure if I can give my media agency permission to be delving into this, mm. even though you've hired non-media people, you know, spe- specialist data scientists to help with it." Then over time, that becomes absolutely accepted into the into the media and broader marketing toolkit.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, you know, you know, marketers will have data scientists at heart, what they do. Most comms agencies worth their salt will have you know, data scientists is the heart what they do. So that I think that evolution's been interesting. But what I would go back to on that, though, um, yes, the depth of data that you have now, <clears throat> when you are able to look at, manipulate, evaluate, you know, in the fraction of a second really, really big data sets, um, you, you know, is much more powerful. Um, but the... The analytical and strategic process to get to powerful transformation answers for business is still the same. Mm. You've still got to take a source of a source of data uh, and find the most compelling things that can you know, that that can lead to a transformation. And again, I think you know throughout my experience in marketing, there's never one answer. Mm. You know, there there are lots of potentially right answers, but you've always got a really finite budget. So yeah. you're always trying to go, what is the best answer? And if, you, if you're if you at a higher order with, you know, if you're at a higher order with things, invariably you're trying to go, what is the one thing we could change tomorrow? Maybe it's talking to a, uh, you know, a new audience because they might be more likely to buy our products more often or higher value or whatever it is. You know, what's the one thing we could change tomorrow that would make the, make the biggest immediate difference? And interestingly, I think when you talk like that, Funny enough, when you listen to a lot of you know really good data scientists being interviewed, they sort of talk the same way. They sort of go, you know, yeah. to, to get a foothold into an organisation. We try and find what's the what's the right thing to change first because I want to you know I want a success and I want a number. Once I get one number, people will believe me.
0: Yeah. Um, so look, I those, I, look, those, look, Steve, yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. In that you know when you've got huge amounts of data there are so many things that you could possibly find. You're yes. really wanting to find what's the biggest problem yeah. or what's the biggest opportunity yeah. that I can focus on first. Yeah. Otherwise, it's literally like uh, a, a, you yeah. know, um, a flood of choice you know, of yeah. things that you could possibly yes. do. But I wanted to go back to more the, the amount of data because a lot of people yeah. talk about data. Right, yes. Like almost all conversations in marketing, and, and you said a minute yeah. ago that you know everyone will have some sort of data analytics or data insights capability because it's expected. Yeah. But there's a big difference, isn't there, between um, having a, a data analyst work on, say, four or five sources of data and working on hundreds of sources. Because I caught up with uh, Martin Cass, who's uh, out of New York, and... Um, MDC media partners, yeah. and he was telling a story about uh, he was talking to one of his data analysts and he said, what data do you need? And the guy looked at him and said, just bring me everything and I'll tell you what I can use. And, and it reminded me of, remember when Quantian first started? You know, And yes. they were positioning themselves as being so much better than any agency because they not just had all of the same data agencies could subscribe to, but they also had a whole lot of um, uh, credit card and uh, electronic fund transfer data. Yeah. They then added, you know, when uh, Woolworths came along, yeah. there was all that data yeah. was poured in there. And so this idea that the richness... And the validity yeah. of the insight is almost directly proportional to the number of sources and the size of the data um, set yeah. that you're working with. You know, it's still yes. an issue, isn't it? Because a lot of people are working in data analytics and are still being starved of getting their hands on a rich, rich sources of, of um, relatable or valid data.
1: Yes. And it's interesting. Um, you say that because we were going to be controversial, and I don't mean to be, but I mean that quantum model was really scary when it was first mooted because you absolutely, you went absolutely. You've got access to a couple of rural, pucker first-party data pools, hmm. and you know you're putting yourselves up as you know the world's best modelers, but somehow, and there were probably um, you know nervous moments. When we were kind of up against them, you know, in back in your media back days, in the, back in the media days, because they were going to, you know, change the
0: world. Absolutely. Um, and except the world seemed to catch up with them very quickly. <laughs> the world, the world caught up very
1: quickly, um, but also they never quite. In a couple of times, I was sort of exposed to the actual working of that. They, again, they never drove some some of the deep insights I thought they might have done. You were expecting them to come in and sort of go, yeah, based combination of first-party data sets, absolute econometric modelling expertise. um, We can really come up with some bigger and better marketing decisions, product decisions, price decisions, audience decisions. And a couple of times I got exposed to it, they, they didn't get beyond a few sort of things that media people would do. You know, here's a bit of flighting. But also, it became even easier than that. It was virtually every time we model something, if you put your money in the thing with the cheapest cost per thousand, or either will sell, you'll sell more. So in a yeah. way, it always came back to put all your money on regional TV. And it's really um, so. Again, I think, yeah, some some sharper analysis over the top. It was a, it was a, it was a good toolkit, and somehow. You know, you're expecting them to pick up... I mean, they've got a great business. Mm. And I think, absolutely, if you're working on some marketing problems... And again, this might be another topic we talk about, I think, in terms of quality of data is really important because you think all data is equal. But there's, you know, premium disclosed data you can buy and really good quality data sets. And there's, you know... um, You know, the... The way you got your data from can be as murky as how much you paid on the, on the way through. <laughs> so, right. So, again, and I think there's things, if you were a marketer, that you would buy from quantum in terms of data sets that are, that are, that are you know, premium. Yeah, robust. And robust. Um, but, yeah, somehow you're expecting that model to take over at least part of the world, and it never it was a successful business, but it never quite did. And I wonder whether that was just the power of the analysis over the top, because I kind of had all the machinery.
0: Well... Um, I remember one of the issues was the fact that while the sources of data that they got was quite addressable, yeah. and I mean that as in geographic yeah. consumer individual addressable, without actually identifying the individual, but you know, they knew streets yeah. that people lived in and things like yeah. that. I remember uh, conversations around the fact that very little media data is actually at that level. Like it's very hard to get media data at a postcode level or a street level, right? You get TV by metro regions and it might get split down into northern Sydney and eastern Sydney and yeah, yeah, but you don't get it at that level of saying it's happening in this street Ninety percent of people watch this program, Absolutely. or listen to yeah. this radio station at this time, well, yeah. and or even read worse, this newspaper, or in a diary.
1: Yeah, anything in yeah. a diary, you're getting yeah. really fudgy
0: geographics. Yeah, yeah. so so that there's this disconnect between yes. you know you can have all the data in the world, you could have millions and millions of data points from hundreds and hundreds of sources, but when it actually comes to up to now. Being able to address that from a media perspective, it has always been flawed because media very rarely, until now, you know, yes. and, and now we're starting to see this, yep. the, the beginning of addressable media, and I using, I did the quotes with my fingers, yes. addressable media, is starting to become more of a reality, isn't yeah.
1: it? Like? Look, absolutely, and I think you've probably hit on the nub there, Um we, probably theoretically through different data sets in the last 10 years we've been able to see a lot. But then actually, yeah, how do you translate it back into a media plan that's going to make a great difference or a marketing plan that's going to make a great difference? And I'm sure you've seen these things as well as I have in recent years. You know, someone says, you know, we've got all this data so we can move to a a much more precise intent behaviour based audience and that's going to drive everything we do in real time and then you go I'm really looking forward to seeing this and you turn the page over and they've applied that to about 8% of their you know there's 8% of the plan is in digital where they're kind of doing that Hmm. and then you go well uh, well, how did that apply to the outdoor or the radio or the whereas now I think absolutely Uh, I mean I've I've been following all the kind of connected TV developments mm. very closely, and I think you know in the upfronts last week the number was supposed to be higher by now based on the conversation we had last December. But even so, I think nine have got to seven million addressable individuals, you know, through logins on mm-hmm. the connected TV. Um, that to me becomes a really exciting number because when you know, if you then go, well, it's got mass, it's You've got, got individuals it, at mass, it, it, at mass, so yeah. and y- y- you can you start know, to yeah. look
0: at their viewing profile based yeah. on their logins. So, a medium
1: to large size mm. marketer, do you now, you know, very yes. soon, if not now, mm. get to a place where you can go, well, actually, I you know, I could have a really tight intent based audience mm. and all sorts of in, intent based behavioral definitions, and I might, but I could spend 90% of my money on it, not. Eight percent, and the rest is still in a very blunderbuss kind of demographic delivery but I could do 80, 90, 100% and I think you go again I think if they've landed on 7 million you know in the next 6 to 12 months they're going to take over the dupli- Fairfax yeah. you know once they unduplicate everything you can get out of Fairfax I mean, what's that because you know, what are they about 500 and a half million uniques I think a month I mean where's the number is it 10 mm. if you've got and you know, suddenly you go you know for most Target audiences. What we, we you know we, we we can dive into a live pool of ten million people. It's very um, it's very compelling. And if you go, you know, well, you know, we're after people who are going to buy an SUV next week, or we're after people that are lactose intolerant. If you then go out of those ten million people, we can pick up a bigger pool of these people than we ever, You know, is that enough for us to go? Let's just spend our money there for four months. And does that make every sales metric we need? It so there's a couple exciting.
0: of po- couple of points there. The first yeah. is. What number of if it's seven or ten million is duplicated because there's going to be a huge amount of those individuals. Yes. I mean, even creating logins, you know, yes. there'll be people that have two or three logins because on their phone or their i uh, their tablet yes. or their smart TV they couldn't remember the uh, password, so they created yes. a new login on a new uh, email yes. address. The second is that. Um, what, we, what we've seen is that people will start, marketers and their, their data analysts, will start with the pool of data and start to segment down to find particular valuable groups of people in that data set mm-hmm. without actually thinking about those segments as being media addressable. You know, in that you'll end up segments that'll have... Uh, well, people that do this, this and this, largely behavioural because a lot of the data has come from online, where it's more about behaviour rather than demographic, um, that have this particular behaviour profile, and then they'll turn to the media and go, well, we want to buy this segment, and the media goes, it doesn't align to any way that we actually segment or sell media. Because media is still largely segmented on demographic profiles rather than psych- I know they've done some psychographic yes. but largely yes. it's still you know uh uh grocery buyers <laughs> with children yeah. under 15 and things like that as a way rather than a psychographic model isn't yeah. it yeah so or a behavioural model
1: yeah no absolutely so you, you just taking that sort of channel 9 example absolutely so you, you know anything still back on the main network you're still tied down to a demographic. Mm. And I don't know how that duplication will work out, but if the base at the moment is seven million and you can and you can, you know, thread out it won't be twelve. Mm. I don't know whether it's eight or ten, I'm not I'm not bright enough to work it out. But whatever that number is, if that pool then you can go, let's start with that, that becomes compelling. Because I think if you go to a classic kind of always on reach build rather than go it sounds great but ultimately 60-70% of my money is just in, a, in a pretty broad demographically bought mass medium and the cherry on the top is this intender I get for 20% of my money through some nice digital stuff mm. if you can flip it on your head you know you might be able to flip it on its head and go because I've got a pool of 10 million people it might be on this intention audience whatever it is I might be hitting as few as 30% maybe as many as Ninety percent, depending on how narrow or mass this audience is, and, and and that media's ability to hit it, and you might be able to go well, I don't really need too much beyond that. You know, we've done or we've done eight tenths of the job through that, mm. and everything else is just a bit of a, you know, Ehrenberg, bass hit everyone bonus. C- c- Finishing that one of the that problems becomes a really
0: interesting yeah. thing to, to experiment with. The the problem with media, even yeah. digital media, is yeah. the huge amount of wastage. Right? Because even when you go online with a a programmatic algorithm to target a particular profile, you're still relying on the quality of the date publisher's data about identifying that. Now, you know, I know there's talk about being able to get down to targeting individuals, but then there's a whole lot of issues around privacy. You know, the day that you can sit down there and say, I want to target Steve and I know his email address and I know where he lives, but having that level of data would have to come with your permission to be able to be targeted like that. I think
1: that's a really interesting topic and probably something I've been thinking a lot more about some of my more recent roles and it, mm. you know, double, double ADL and so forth, and um, ADMA over a period of time um, has done some really, has participated in some global research into, uh, you know, consumers' relationship with data and the value of data and so on and so forth, and there was an update that came out in April. It comes out about every two years. So if you look at, um, and and you could look at you know you could pull out Australians' attitudes to data as well as a sort of global panel. And I think if you look at that, if you look at what some people are, you know are doing, you know responses to GDPR. Back to your earlier point, um, yeah, how how do you make this all work in the theoretical way we all want it to work? Um, I think part of this will be um, encouraging consumers to share their data. So. How can I be really clear that I've got you, Darren, and all your right logins across the over-the-top box on your TV, the iPad you use, and your iPhone, and if I can do that, I've got you absolutely, you know, every device you use, I've got it covered. And even, can, which you should do, can I identify the devices you give the twins so I'm really clear on, because as you know, yeah. they get served, and yeah. not thirty-second ads instead of kids ads and all that. So how can I do that? Well, um, it's probably time that people, you know, motivated you to do it. If 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 if, if we can know that you're on these, we'll reward you. It's interesting. There's
0: a, I worry. Sorry. Oh, yeah. sorry, yeah. sorry, Steve. I worry yeah. that as an industry, we've missed the boat. Okay. Mm-hmm. That there was a point maybe about you know, 10 years ago, where the industry should have stepped up and said, we will have an exchange of value here. You give us permission to know who you are and contact you, and we will make sure you are not spammed, okay? Because what's happened is my email address, my business email address, which is my primary email address, every day I get emails from organisations that have clearly bought a list of CEOs and are just emailing me all sorts of things. And for me to sit there and go unsubscribe, 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 which I sometimes think just validates that it's a real email address, rather than unsubscribing me, yes, I know. right? Um, and then I end up on more. So now I just hit junk filter, junk filter, exactly. junk filter. Exactly, especially
1: when it's a company that's told you for 15 years that they're, they're not, you know, they're they super targeting people. And you go, well, I'm yeah. not in your audience and I'm So, I'm so we're hit. also yeah.
0: burnt out. We're burnt out yeah. by the distrust hmm. of the fact that our data in the past for 10 years has been used against us. To then turn around as an industry and say, actually, you know what, we want your data so that we can do a better job for you. You know, when I turned 50, I got spanned, and, and, you know, I wasn't married, so I got spanned with Russian brides and Viagra. Now neither of those were things I was interested in, but at the most rudimentary data profiling, they went, "Well, fifty-year-old man, not married. Uh, he either needs a wife or he needs some chemical help to maintain an erection." Yeah, and that was it. Yes. Yeah. You know? Well, I. It
1: was about. <laughs> it must have been about six years ago, and I just started randomly getting all those emails as well about the Russian brides, even though I was married. Yeah. Kate went, What? what what's all this?" It's like. I don't know. It, I think it's auto-generated spam. It hasn't been prompted by anything I've looked at. You know? <laughs> but but you can <laughs> exactly. see what I mean, you know,
0: If why didn't the industry actually take the opportunity yes. to promote this? Because I think it, you know, and, and there's talking about uh, blockchain. Yeah, you know, the there's a lot of talk about blockchain. But one of my favourite ones is that you will be a, they'll build a blockchain that you will be able to put all of your personalised data. You know, all of that information, all my email addresses, all the devices I use, all my accounts that I uh, subscribe to, all my passwords, but I will be able to, because it's in a blockchain, release it to people selectively to have access to it. Right. And I love that idea. That's fantastic. Absolutely.
1: Look, I agree with you wholeheartedly on everything you've mapped out, <coughs> Um you you would think because again you know we're going to get into conversations around you know CX and the merging of marketing and CX so um, how a whole industry can be talking about this but absolutely to your point not think about the effects of constantly spamming people and you know annoying the head out of them um, the the two don't go together so well, I agree with everything you said but I think the only maybe an optimistic thing is have we missed the boat so. Is that the, is that the current reality? Yes. Are there problems with it? I think yes. Have we missed the boat? Not necessarily. And the only reason I say that is in this um, in this research into consumer attitudes to data. The basically it segmented the Australian population into three segments based on their relationship with data, and the largest segment, which is fifty four percent of the population, are basically a very. Um, Data. I think I think we call them data educated. So a very data data educated mm-hmm. and data literate segment. Uh, now, that's not that's not overtly skewed by demographics. Uh, it is quite broad across all age groups, etc. And what that group will say, right now, is, um, I get there's a value in my data. I understand that. Uh, I'm open to it. My only beef, though, is that the value exchange doesn't yet work for me. Mm. Like, I know there is a value exchange, I know why you want it, I know it helps you sell more products, and I'm not averse to that. But, you know, you, you pick a brand that someone uses. I know you know this, and I'm waiting for you to give me to make me an offer, yeah. right? So, in one way, so so that's the only reason I say the horse hasn't bolted. I think if all this stuff happened now, or if brands now were very overt about going, look, I know <laughs> you know we're going to use your data to put the right products and services in front of you, but I'm going to I'm going to make it worth your while. Yeah, fifty four percent of the population is open to that conversation right now.
0: That's why I think the uh, the voice. Uh activated yeah. uh, search you know that, that Google and um, Amazon and even Apple have uh, yeah. got into is really interesting because you know what you want as a consumer is for it to predict what you need before you even know it. Yes. So when you say, oh, I feel like pizza tonight, not that it recommends the pizza that the advertiser has been uh, paid to recommend right, but has actually profiled you to know which of the pizzas on offer is the one that you prefer or is most likely for you to have satisfaction from, you know. And people talk about being able to achieve that, except that the commercial model uh, seems to be, well, we'll just recommend the brand that's paying us the most to uh, yeah. promote them.
1: Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I mean... Um how would you, and I think that's what we'd all want, but how, how do you in reality ever get to that curated model? Because, yeah, someone's probably just paid.
0: That's <laughs> right. And the, and, the argue, and the argument is, well, you know, pizza's pizza. Yeah. But then that just completely destroys the idea that brands exist because brands are actually yeah. the thing that differentiates one product from the next and stops them being commoditized. Although,
1: you know, in that environment, and again, it, you know, it, it, it comes back to, you know, research we've all seen, and it comes back to the sort of you know Spotify model and others. Um, let's say you uh, I mean Apple's probably a good example because it's you know a premium brand and and premium products and anyone who seems to I mean I've got Apple stuff but we, we pay silly money for it. Um, again so you you know if you took Apple a- Apple customers as an example If you went to them, yeah, across the whole world of walled garden curation we can offer you, Mm. um, would you be prepared to pay a bit more, and we'll turn off paid recommendations and we'll give you a genuinely curated service with our amazing algorithms? Um, You know, there might be a group of people that um, are up for that. Now, even if if it turned out to only be, if you think about all Apple users worldwide, if that only turned out to be 10% of them, Um, you know, you're hoping it's more, but maybe as little as 10%, that's quite a valuable group of people.
0: Could you imagine if, in a world of transparency, I just, while you were saying that, I was thinking, in a world of transparency, when you say... Hey Siri, I'd like a pizza. And uh, Siri comes back and says, "We've been bidded seven dollars fifteen to recommend crust. We've been bidded five dollars twenty to recommend that... Domino's. <laughs> We've <laughs> been <laughs> choose the be... one that's paid the most yeah. for your service or your customer. I don't
1: know. Would it work now? Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe everyone should try this at home. If you, if you went Siri, oh. who's paid you the most? To offer me a pizza, (laughs) would it give you the
0: truth? Alexa, can uh, can Siri
1: lie? Can can Siri and Alexa lie, or is it, you know, their AI, (laughs) or do they only have to tell the truth? or Are there sort of filters in
0: there? I I think they just filter out and don't give them the uh, the data that uh, would actually be uh, required to do that. But you you mentioned customer experience, yeah, and and if anyone has a right, or if anyone is going to be someone that I'm willing to give my personal data to, it's brands and companies that I do business with, and especially financial business. So you would have to say, you know, banks and financial institutions have a huge amount of data on me and ask for data all the time. If I take out a mortgage or I want a loan or a credit card, there's a huge amount of data that I'm provided. I won't mention which bank I'm with, but I have three different customer IDs because I'm a business customer, I'm a personal customer and I'm a home loan customer and they've opened three different so I'm just wondering uh, in your experience in the world of data yeah. how do you think that works to their single view of me as a customer
1: but so with the bank I'm with same um, <clears throat> there's a business account um, and some personal accounts but that ratchets up in the same environment so I'm assuming they can easily watch across both can't yours do that?
0: No. Every time I log in, if I use the wrong uh, customer ID, I get the, uh, the wrong perspective. Especially, it drives me crazy because if I call them up and they ask for my customer ID, I have to remember what product it is so that I right. give them the right ID for the right products. Okay. So, so this, is, this is one of the big four yep. banks. We are talking okay. about premium, yeah. premium banking in this market. And they're all in the twenty first century. They're struggling with giving me a single view of me as a customer. Oh, that's interesting. Just and my previous bank had the same problem as well. So two out of the big four struggle with this. So
1: me as Bank A, mm-hmm. I've got a customer ID I put in, and then on my on the website and on my menu, I can then ratchet between mortgages, personal account, business account. So.
0: Oh, I can get once I go in. I can yeah. navigate around. So I'm assuming within that
1: um, architecture, they would have a one customer view of me. They should be able to capture that.
0: Um, Except if I phone their call center, I have to pick the right customer oh, ID, yeah. so that they can actually then get the right view of me. Yeah, I just think it's interesting because there's so much talk that about should be,
1: that. Should be yeah, that should be easily solvable. And if if it's not done that way, again, you'd think everything they do now from a, and I guess this is you know, whether land grab's the right word, you know, marketing's land grab into, you know, customer experiences because if, if we're talking to you classically in a, in a, in a web environment, mm-hmm. you know, we can understand simple, you know, user interfaces. If I change that slightly, clicks go up. If I change it slightly, bounce rates, whatever. Mm-hmm. Which gives people permission to take control of that. So absolutely, that you would think for any brand worth its that's an absolute laboratory where you go. If I haven't got one customer view, um, or if there's anything that happens through that, you know, online journey that loses a customer or frustrates or annoys a customer, that's easy to fix. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be a world of you know data scientists out there that help with all those things. So that would be yeah.
0: I just think you know, in in the the yeah. role in the world that you've been in recently, yeah, there's a lot of talk about you know data in uh, informed customer experience yeah. and the role of data in actually you know creating customer satisfaction. Yeah, how far do you think the hype oh. is against the uh, compared to the reality? Because there are so many places that you see people talking it up, and yet the actual implementation is. Almost like feels like it's a decade behind.
1: Yeah, I, I would pro- I, I would probably agree with you and say I think hype's probably still at the front. I, I think the opportunity now is that I think theoretically the tools are all there, um, and
0: you know, and, I know, it and must the disciplines are mushrooming yeah.
1: that theoretically you should be able to achieve it. Mm. But are one hundred percent of brands achieving it? No. Again, I think you know if you were going to throw a brick, what you'd probably again going back to you know times of yore, I mean, you can often separate um, theoretically. <clears throat> I think, yeah, going back decades with the, with the available data, you had theoretically everyone is data driven, and you take marketing and business decisions based on objective analysis in front of you now if I went back through um, you know every, every marketing and issue I've been involved with and I presented someone with a recommendation based on a strategic and analytical view of the data in front of me and you would have been through this how many people have gone objectively agree or objectively I've got some different sorry, or how many people have then taken a decision on subjectively or on gut feel Mm. way too many now you go surely in the last four or five years you know every single excuse to take subjective decisions is now gone because we have the data we have the tools how many people out there are still taking subjective decisions too many Mm. so you've still got to get to a place I think where you go yeah, we've got all all the tools and technology, uh, skill sets available, but you've got to start from a place where you go. I think, but I I, I have I have to then be led objectively by what this tells me. Um, and if you're still in a mindset where you go, either yeah, I'm, I'm still subjective, or I think what often happen, someone you know, the minute you're presented with an object, you know, an objective, do this. Our company is not set up for that. It yeah. doesn't work with us. We're an exception. Um, <laughs> you know, then it all falls in a hole. Yeah. So I think that mindset, so I think, yeah, it's still hyper-reality. I think that reality could be achieved, but it needs, in a way, puts more and more pressure on people to go, we've taken it, you know, if it's a game of kaplunk, we've taken every peg out now. You have to have an objective approach to everything that's shown to you. I mean, it's interesting, um, I was listening and I... Um, Um, I've heard a couple of talks from people at the Iconic um, and in some ways their approach to this makes a lot of sense. And again, you look at it and go, and they're a sort of you know pure play online retailer and they seem to do things very well and they've built a really good business. Um, and their view seems to be, because again, yeah, you, you can get absolutely buried in data, but they seem to be reasonably disciplined to go... You know, again, your starting point is what are your business objectives Hmm. or what's the question we need to answer? So even when they put a, um, you know, when when they sort of put a project to their data team or put a data team in place to do something, but they don't sort of do that, you know, it it starts with, they they kind of work backwards. They go, what are we trying to answer from a business perspective? And they work backwards to then go, okay, it's this thing to do that. So again, that's Which is a better
0: approach than the way of, here's yes. all the data, now let's work out what the problem is we're going to solve. You, yes. maybe, what's the problem or the opportunity? And yes. now, how do we cut the data in a way that actually gives us a solution or absolutely. an insight into and the they, solution?
1: And they will talk about, you know, when I, uh, I've seen them talk. So again, that's a really good way of, of approaching it. But it's also absolutely to your point, it's a direct answer to the we now have mind-numbing levels of data, mm. um, and again, you know, some of their data people talk about. You know, you can be in sort of like a Facebook environment or uh, some sort of complex businesses, and you you can look at uh, millions or billions of rows of data every day. So you can just get utterly blinded by this. So absolutely, the, the potentially the biggest antidote is to always go well. No, let's not run everything we can, and and plenty of businesses now are in place. Probably those banks are the same. You couldn't run all the data on a daily basis to see what's happening. Mm. it would take you forever to run it. Um, so what's the question? Mm. All right, let's configure our data to answer that question yeah. uh, because you need that focus.
0: So the, the, the really smart organisations, and especially the smart marketers, are the ones that are adapting from the gut instinct intuition model to the rational data-driven model by saying an informed decision based on data is still processed through the instinct or intuition. And the reason they they do that is that an informed decision is one where the data informs it, but it still allows for what's called the human condition. So look, I agree. You know, If you can uh, at least define the problem that you're going to solve up front, then the data is there to hopefully find the solution. But, uh, oh, Steve, I've just noticed the time. Uh, it's amazing how time flies when you're having fun.
1: It does. It does. I really appreciate being on. And uh, I might add, uh, just for the listeners, because this was a audio, not video, we're both naked. <laughs>
0: Terrible, terrible. But um, look, thanks for, uh, thanks for popping by and thanks for your time. I do have a question for you. You know, we always hear in uh, around data all the people that are doing it well. But uh, I'm wondering can you share with us someone that you really think has uh, completely cocked it up?